you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible passage is Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 14. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. Yep, that's better. It's only one switch and I can't work it out, but yeah, I've got it out. Let's pray. Father, um, as we come to your word in that, that wonderful teaching of your son, the Lord Jesus, we ask that uh, our hearts would be prepared, that, that we uh, in this moment would be a city on a hill in every way. And so we ask this as we look to you in love and faith and trust, our Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, in uh, 2003, it seems a long time ago now, um, I travelled to Myanmar, which was then known as, uh, which is previously known as Burma. I don't know if you know much about Myanmar, but it's a, it's a very sad place in many ways. It's, it's been under an iron military dictatorship for a long time. Um, many thousands of people have been murdered by the government, the military's in control there, including many thousands of, of Christian people. Um, I went to Myanmar as, as part of the request of some of the very small local churches as uh, part of a, a drama team. So we were doing uh, a drama presentation about the truth of Jesus without any words um, at all, because obviously I don't speak the language. Um, we would simply do a drama seeking to present the truth of Jesus to people who had never heard, the good news. And it was the most incredible thing. I was skeptical when I went, about, you know, my drama abilities, and, um, and you know, this felt a bit cringy. Um, but when we went there, and we proclaimed the beauty of the world that was created by God, and you could see, yeah, that, that's... And then we proclaimed the truth that this world was broken, and that sin had entered the world, and, and, and some people who were hearing this for the first time, just watching them, them cry, as they went like, this world, yeah, it is broken. We know it's broken. It's terribly broken. And then we, we proclaim through dra- drama the coming of Jesus into the world. 
And the difference that, that he makes as he comes into the world and, and you see them start to smile, but, th- but then you see like the, we portrayed the crucifixion that the world that he came to love crucified him and killed him. And, and you could see like the disbelief. Why, why did they do this? How could they have done this? And then when we proclaimed the truth that Jesus was resurrected in life and power, there was this wonderful sense of, of joy and in the only words we would use, uh, one of us on the drama team would explain and say, this same Jesus is alive through an interpreter. And he wants to reach out and to know you. You come and, and trust and believe in him. And it was incredible to me, often in the West, we, we've, we've, many of us have heard this. Most of us here today have heard this many, many times. And it's, it loses its impact perhaps sometimes. But when you see how good the news about Jesus is, and when it comes to a people who have never heard it before, the, the goodness and the truth and the relevance and the beauty of Jesus shines like a diamond that you've perhaps never looked at before in all its facets, glittering and beautiful. And as we were doing that, I was, it was like, wow, this is just like churches in Australia. You know, like we're just going around to these little tiny villages and, you know, Burma's not so bad after all. And then one night, and I think I've shared this story before, in the middle of the drama... Uh, and there was only a small group, a fraction of the signs that are here today, uh, a small building, I saw that the Burmese soldiers file in, in along the back and they had automatic weapons slung across their shoulders and they, they stood like this right along the back of the building and they actually outnumbered probably those who were present. And at that moment, my heart went up into my throat and I felt that fear reaction that you get because I knew uh, about the Burmese military. I knew very well what they were capable of. I also knew that what we were doing was probably illegal. Uh, and at that moment, I, I whispered to the, the, our interpreter, should we better stop? And, and he said this, and I'll never forget, he said, no, keep going, you're foreigners. The worst that has happened is you, or you'll be detained for a little while and questioned and deported back to Australia. Keep going. And I said, but, but what about you? And he said this, he said, we'll be fine. Either we will live or we will die. But Jesus is Lord anyway, so you keep going. And I come back to that, but I can't think of a better place to begin today, given the events of the last week than in Matthew 5. Partly because, as you heard read, this is our verse. This is where we get our name, city on a hill. Listen to again, Matthew 5, 14. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What a place to start, who we really are as a church. A city on a hill, wanting to shine a light into a world like a lamp on the stand or a city on a hill. But this is also a really good place to come today. And as you might know, we were going to be looking at transgender. That's a very important thing to look at. But it felt like today that was not the most important thing right in this moment. Jesus, in these verses, in the Beatitudes, the most famous sermon in all of history, he tells us what it is to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian in the world. And we need to be reminded of that. And 
And as, um, as that reading, I don't know if you noticed as it was being read, there's a particular section of the Beatitudes which we need to look at this morning, I think. And it, it comes in um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. I'll read it for you again. And I think it's no surprise why I choose this. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you on, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, today I want to look at four key questions. I want to look at what is uh, Christian persecution, about what Jesus is talking about here. I want to say, what does the Bible say about it? And then I want to say, uh, thirdly, how does pers- what does persecution do to the church? And then most importantly... I want to linger on what is our response according to Jesus and according to the words of the Scripture, okay? Those four things. So firstly, what is Christian persecution? We, we know it. It's being treated badly or unfairly just because you are a Christian. Um, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us uh, in the Beatitudes what a Christian life looks like and why it's blessed. You know, it says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. saying, this is what a Christian life looks like. But in these verses we're looking at today, he says, and this is what will happen because of that. If you live this way, this is what will happen. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, important to note, Jesus is talking specifically about Christian persecution. He's not talking about the kind of persecution or the the things that are said or done about us because we're dumb or we're silly or we're um, evil or we whatever things. It's not what he's talking about. It's talking about Jesus says because on or on my account, as my translation says here, because of me, because you are a Jesus person in the world, because you not only own the name of Christian or the name of Jesus, but you believe in the teachings of Jesus. That you're prepared to stand on those teachings and be a city on a hill, be a light in the world. That, the things that come because of that is Christian persecution. It's important to note here that not all Christian persecution is the same. Uh, That's why I began with that story from Myanmar. Because I would blush red as a beetroot to that interpreter and say to him, I now know what Christian persecution is like, mate. Oh boy, you know, we got it tough in Australia. Like, I blush in shame because I don't know what it's like to have family murdered and imprisoned and all of the things as he did. And I'm not in the sense in any way suddenly saying, hey, we're like that right now. Because we're not. But Christian persecution is a spectrum. And on one hand, right now, there are 340 million Christians approximately who live under severe persecution in the world. That's a lot. And of those 340 million, somewhere between 8,000 up to 100,000 people this year, somewhere between 8,000 and 100,000 people this year will be murdered for their faith. Every year that's the same around the world. That's one end of the spectrum, isn't it? Murder. And, and if there's eight to 100,000 people murdered for their faith, there are tens of thousands of more who are imprisoned, who are raped, have their property confiscated, all of these things simply because of the name of Jesus. But the words of Jesus show us it is a spectrum. 
Um, all, all persecution is not the same, but it's a spectrum. It can range from mockery and reviling to saying evil things about you to falsely discriminating against you in the workplace right through until imprisonment and death. It's a, a spectrum. And many of us, if you are a Christian here this morning or you're listening online, you would have experienced some persecution on that spectrum. Maybe it's just a joke. Um, I think Caitlin, speaking about you know, being a teenager, even in a Christian school, you, you know what it is. You'll have experienced, maybe, maybe it's a bit more that you've experienced. Very few of us experienced the other end of the spectrum like those, the, the Burmese friend of mine. But this week, why we would come to this verse is because it feels like the dial has shifted in Australia. There's been a significant shift in this week alone. Now, we've been part of what I think is a watershed moment. You know, Australia is changing and its response to Christians has shifted one dial over. Now, that's what Christian persecution is. Secondly, what does the Bible say about it? That's a good question because we, we could ask and say, well, should we be trying to avoid it? You know, should we not say what we believe because we don't want to get persecution because persecution is bad for Christians, it makes Christians look bad? What does the Bible actually say about about persecution. It's really important. And as you might know, the Bible has a lot to say about persecution. In fact, it makes a resounding promise to each one of us. And this is not the coffee cup promise that, that, may, that I think any of us have on our coffee cups that, or hung up on the wall. You know, but the promise is that every single Christian who genuinely owns the name of Jesus will face persecution. There's a promise for you. Put it on your coffee cup. Hang it up next to Jeremiah. It says, I know the plans I have for you. They're both true. <laughs> Jesus said this in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Listen to this. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Full stop, brackets, Jesus Christ. Pretty clear, isn't it? Did they persecute Jesus? <laughs> yep. He came to, in love to the world, speaking words of grace and truth, and they hated him all the way to the cross, the very ones that he was going to the cross to save. Yes, persecution is real. Um, a few, I, I mean, I probably more than any of you here, perhaps I've been fully immersed in the world of the media this week and reading the blogs and caught up in the comments and, um, and there's been a couple of bloggers that come from a Christian perspective, not a majority, but a few, and they've kind of gone like, oh, you guys are just asking for trouble. You know, like you just, just Focus on the things that Jesus loves everybody and just downplay anything else that might be offensive because people get hooked on what's offensive and then they miss that Jesus loves them and, and calls them into a relationship with him. So, so you guys kind of you, you asked for this and you didn't have to because you're, you're not as cringy as some Christians. Like you actually preach in, in jeans and t-shirts. That's pretty cool. And, uh, and you actually have a pretty spiffy website. You know, like, so what, you know, why have you brought this on yourself? In other words, to say, why are you followers of Jesus? Or why don't be followers of Jesus, but don't preach all of his word? And I'll tell you why. 
Because they're right, we could avoid persecution. We wouldn't have to be standing here this week preaching on this passage. We could have avoided it easily. But the problem with that is that in doing that, we would have actually marred or we would have, we would have damaged our reflection of the Lord Jesus himself. By doing that, we might have been popular, but we would have looked less like Jesus. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a preacher from long ago. He said this, he says, The effect of Jesus Christ upon his contemporaries was that many threw stones at him. They hated him. And finally, choosing a murderer instead of him, they put him to death. That is the effect that Jesus Christ always has upon the world. He's right. The world hates you. It hated me first, Jesus said. So when Paul speaks about the horrific persecution that he experienced, the Apostle Paul, in books like, we read about it in Acts and we read it in other letters of the New Testament, and then he says to Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All, all, that means all, um, all will be persecuted if you desire to live a godly. He's not using hyperbole. This is not like a big statement to make, oh yeah, but actually, no, 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 you don't have to if you just live and you're a nice, loving person and you just focus on... No. Everyone, all who desire to live a godly life, you will experience persecution. And that is all of us. Every genuine follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says in... uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I need to hear that because it felt like something strange was happening to me this week and maybe that you felt that way too. Peter says, no, don't be surprised. You knew about this. You read the Bible. Here it comes. Don't be surprised. Persecution has always been a normal part of the Christian life. So what is Christian persecution? It's, it's suffering or it's having things said against you, the false, whatever that spectrum is, for the sake of Jesus. What does the Bible say about it? It's normal not unusual, that spectrum of persecution will apply and should apply, according to the Bible, to every single Christian believer who seeks to live a godly life in Christ. So thirdly, what does persecution do when it comes according to the Bible? And this is encouraging. Well, persecution is a lot like the hot summer sun beating down upon a plant. Now, that same sun will do one of two different things, won't it, to that plant? If that plant is in shallow soil with shallow roots, if it's been poorly nourished, when the sun beats down upon it, what will happen to that plant? Well, you gardeners among you, as I am, you know what happens to those plants. They're cactus. If they were cactus, they might have made it, but they're not, so they're dead. (laughs) You've seen it. It it just happens, doesn't it? They wither and shrivel and die. But the same sun, the very same sun, the very same heat, the very same light beating down on, upon a plant who is well established, whose roots go down deep into the soil. You know what it does to that plant? It causes it to thrive and new life. It, it soaks in the sun and it grows and it deepens and it produces fruit. And persecution on the Christian is exactly the same effect. It, for some, it causes them to wither in their faith. I, look, I, you, know, you, you know what? You know, I, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. Because, well, you know, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Why don't you believe it? Well, because it's not popular. 
and because I'm sick of people having a go at me in the workplace. And the, you know what? I've counted the cost and it's not worth it. I, I'm, I'm a deconstructed Christian. I, I'm an ex-Christian. I'm whatever. It, sometimes persecution will do that. It always have, has. Jesus, later on in Matthew's gospel, he says, for because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's what he says. The increase of wickedness, the love of most, he says, will grow cold. But for others, that same persecution reminds them of who they really are. It's a wake-up call. Um, this week, you know, a lot of the other things, I lost my car key, right? And it was one of those electronic things. You know, and the, you know how much those car keys cost? thousand bucks if you go to Kia. You know, and that, that was heavy on my mind. I lost, where did I lose that stupid car key? How did it fall out? Where is it? You know, trying to find that car key everywhere. That was a big deal. You know what? After this week, I go like, you know what? I don't care about the car key. There is more important, important things. Like it forces me onto what really matters. You know, forget the car key. Look at the beauty and tr truth and relevance of Jesus because that really matters. And you know what? What happened this week forced me to do that. It forced me to press into Jesus in a new way. And it's a good thing. And you know, the old hymn says, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So true. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.11 about persecution, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Do you hear what he's saying? We're being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the, the supernatural life the good news of the gospel, the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit is revealed in us in a new and fresh way. And never forget also the encouragement that Jesus gives us, what the impact of persecution is. Matthew 5, rejoice because they did the same to the true prophets who were before you, Jesus says. Hear what he's saying? Persecution actually confirms you in your identity. It says, this is who you are. Do false prophets get persecuted? Jesus says, no, false prophets, people say wonderful things about them in the media and in the blogs and in the articles because they're false prophets. They're saying what itching ears want to hear. They're, they're speaking the world's language in the world's way. False prophets always get good press. And Jesus says, the true prophets, they're the ones who are persecuted. So ergo, if you are being persecuted for my sake, then that's who you are. You're one of the faithful you're one of the true prophets who stand on his word and are persecuted for the sake of Jesus. So Jesus says, rejoice when that happens to you. Because it says who you are. And because it says who you are, it also reminds you where you're going. I was just chatting with, with these guys coming back um, into Australia from, from overseas. And maybe many of you have done that. You know that moment when you, you go through passport control and, uh, and then you, you have your boarding pass and they... They, they, they swipe the boarding pass and then you enter the plane, right? And then you head towards your destination. Persecution is a little bit like swiping the boarding pass. It shows you're on the plane. You're going to the destination. And that's an amazing destination. Persecution here equals glory there. Now, it's true that persecution always means that you lose something here. Um, I, I lost some sleep this week. Um, maybe there are other things that you've lost in your context. Um, persecution always means that you lose something. Andrew Thorburn lost his job. Um, maybe you lost some credibility at home or at work, perhaps. Jesus says rejoice. 
Because if you're persecuted for my name's sake, great's your reward in heaven. It shows who you really are. In fact, if you are never persecuted at all, ever, in any way on that spectrum for being a Christian, Jesus might say to you, is everything okay with your soul and your faith? Are you really mine? How come Jesus and his, himself and all these people throughout history are persecuted and you're getting praised by everybody all the time? It's good to ask, isn't it? Persecution reminds us who we are, where we're going. Now, fourthly, finally, this is the most important. How do we respond? I don't know about you, but I've been asking that all week. How, how do I respond? How do I respond to the, the, the journalists bugging me over and over on my phone? How do I respond to the articles that, that wound and hurt and the things that go, that's just not true? You're, you're taking something, one sentence out of a 45-minute sermon out of context to try and paint us as a church into this corner where you want us to be. You're not interested in having a discussion. All you want to do is just throw us to the lions. And, and how do you respond to that? You know, I'll tell you how I respond instinctively. I got a bit of Peter in me. It's like, right, let's get that sword out in the garden, you know, and let, let's go. I know I'm not going to win. The odds are against me, but look, I'm going to go down fighting with that sword. At least my name's on the, on the honor roll of those who died for the God. That's my natural response. Is that the right one? Is that the response? We're going to fight. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to stand up. Well, how do we respond? Firstly... And in some ways, I think God in his grace has been discipling our church for this very moment. It's interesting to me that nothing in our left and right series was picked up by the media to this point. Now, it's 13 years ago, right? Um, but in the last weeks, we've been, I think in God's grace, being prepared for this. Like, I, so for example, where, where do we live in Australia now? I think that's an important response to persecution, asking, okay, where's this coming from? Partly as we didn't think we had to respond to it. So if you were here at Free Speech, when I preached on Free Speech, maybe four or five weeks ago, whenever it was, I quoted from a guy called Steve McAlpine. And uh, he, he, this is a quote that he said in 2017. And I'm going to read it to you again because he was, it just seems it's got a whole new level of poignancy now. He said, What we have learned over the past few years, and it's only a few years, is that secularism has bottomed out. And lo and behold, it's bottomed out on the issue of sex. I think I'm going to start calling it secularism. And to that end, secularism is not the friend it seemed to be. Listen to this. And which we as a minority in Australia, at least, assumed it always would be, allowing us to play marbles in the corner of the schoolyard. It's going to start playing rough, throwing its weight around and stealing lunch money. Put simply... Secularism is going to play the playground bully, and especially in the areas of sex. Well, the bully arrived in our schoolyard much sooner than I expected, and I think the thing we need to realize is, is that he's here to stay. I don't mean Daniel Andrews, I mean the generic bully of secularism. And, and why do I say that? Because right now it feels like there's a bit of a lull, um, you know, if you typed in our name sitting on a hill for the first four days of this week, we were the number one trending thing across any of the Twitter and all the social media sites. We've gone right down the list now. It's cooling down, it's quietening down. But what I want to say to you is that this is not over. It's not like this is done, you know, we took this, we took this hit and then, then we're done. This is the world in which we live. And, it's, and I, I don't even know if the tide of secularism has gone fully out yet. The tide has swept out and it's taken a lot of inclusivity, I think, and toleration 
and, those, and all those kind of things, it's taken it out with them, but it, I don't think it's out yet fully. I think this is not the, the end. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think this is probably, we're going to see more of the tide go out, I suspect. But, and this is what I want to encourage you with as we think about how we respond to this, tides have a way of coming back in again. And this tide will come back in. And I tell you how it will. Because while the tide is fully out now, there's a king tide coming. And it's the tide of the king. Maybe in your lifetime, maybe in mine, we will see a tsunami that will roll in beauty and grace across this world, not just Australia, across all of those lands where God's people are persecuted, across the lands where his name is held in honor, that that king tide is coming. And when it comes, what I'm talking about is the day that the king himself returns, and he will. This is a word to anyone who is persecuted, wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you're in school or you're put in prison or you're murdered or people say nasty things about you in the media, wherever it is, the king's coming. And for Christians, that is always our hope. We may lose something here and now, we do lose something, but our, we have all our eggs in the king's basket. And when the king comes home and that tide washes back, we know that we stand on solid ground. And our first part of the response is, remember that Jesus says, vengeance is mine. God says, I'll repay, not you. Now, first thing. Second thing, let's not be pulled apart by moments like this, but let's pull together. Um, persecution, when, you, when we're put under heat, as you know, um, you know, when you're under pressure and you're under stress, it, it's easy like, to point fingers and go, well, why did you say that? Or why didn't you do this? Or you could have done that better. Or that interview, why didn't you do that? L- let's not pull apart. Let's pull together. And let's remember what's most important. There are a lot of things that you and I could disagree on and we have disagreed on over the last couple of years. Let's pull together in what really matters. This reminds us, okay, this is what matters. Not all these others. Jesus Christ matters. And his word and his gospel and his beauty, his beauty, his truth and his relevance. Let's pull together. And let's, in that process, let's stand with those people who do get persecuted. This is such a good reminder, isn't it? It's very easy to see other people copying it and go like, well, they're not looking at me. So I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you know, it's not my problem, you know? Uh, we can look at other churches getting, the, you know, but this is a reminder to us as a church is that we stand not only as a church, but we stand with Christians around the world and around Australia and let's pull together, let's own it and let's support one another. Um, in, the, in the Bible, it says, remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. So let's do that. Let's support Andrew Thorburn. Let's support Guy Mason. Let's support those people who are really in the heat and are really facing it. Let's not pull apart and look at ways to sort of distance ourselves because it's safe. Let's pull together. But there's one final and crucial thing to remember about how we respond to persecution. And this is what I'm going to end with. This is the most important thing by far. And I'm going to invite the musicians up if we could, because, and I'm going to ask us that we close our eyes and I'm going to read to you words that Jesus said a few paragraphs on from this beautiful sermon of the Beatitudes. This is how Jesus says we respond. So if you could close your eyes, musicians will play for us as they, but I want us to, to hear these words of Jesus and to let them soak in. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. 
But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, church, um, that's the response. That's the Christian response, right? At its heart. Yes, we can protest and we can, we should push back. We can do that graciously, but that's our heart, is to be the heart of Jesus. And we think about Jesus' response to persecution. His response is to turn the other cheek. It's to turn, it says in Isaiah 50, to have his beard plucked out for nothing that he had done or said, to go to the cross, to die on the cross, and to look at the ones who were killing him and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is the gospel response. That has got to be at its heart. That is what it is to be a Christian in a world that often hates us. And so this week, um, as a church, we're going to continue. Like this is a significant moment. And what do we as a church do in a significant moment? We turn back to Jesus more than we have before. We recognize that none of our media policies is going to make any big difference we depend on God and God alone. And so as a church, how do we respond to that? Well, we pray and we fast. And God's people fast sometimes in mourning when they're under oppression, when they shouldn't be, when it's unjust. Sometimes they mourn at their own compromise and their own weakness. And they also fast because they're inviting God's presence and His power. They're saying, God, we need you more. And not just to protect us from persecution, more than that really, help us to do those words of Jesus in the midst of it. Help us to be like Jesus when it's tough, in the school, in your workplace, when someone goes, are you really part of that mob? Boy, they're haters. They're, you know, whatever it might be, that we need the courage to know how to respond like Jesus did. So on Wednesday and Friday this week, we're going to be fasting as a church. We'll send you a devotion early in the morning via email, hopefully by text as well. But join with us. If you can fast, fasting is not the silver bullet, but fasting is something that God teaches about. And this is a moment when we should take it seriously. So Wednesday and Friday as a church, miss breakfast and lunch. Use the time if you can to pray that we would respond like Jesus and to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who are are experiencing the heat at the moment, to pray for ourselves and our church as well. So we're going to do that this week. And more than that, Dom and the, 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 uh, the team are going to lead us as we close out our time with singing. But in that time and between as, as we worship our God together, um, we're going to have a couple of roving mics and we're going to do what we just said. 
We're going to pray for Daniel Andrews. We're going to pray for our local memory. We're going to pray for our, um, the Bible tells us to do this multiple times. We're going to pray for our leaders. And we're going to do that is, we're going to have a mic. And if you would like to pray as we worship together, then that mic will go to you. Please pray according to the words of Jesus. You know, uh, don't want any statements or any kind of things that are not in accord with those. Pray for these leaders. Pray for these people. And then as we continue to worship, we'll pray for those who are being persecuted. We'll, we'll pray for some other stuff. But what I want us to do as a church is to worship and spend our time focusing in absolute worship, lifting our eyes from this political thing and media and all of this stuff, looking to Jesus Christ and to praying for Him. And that needs to be our tenor today and this week and whatever lies ahead. Is that good? Can you do that? I know you can. So thanks, Dom. Take us away and then we'll pray as we go through. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.